Would you open your Bibles back up to Galatians chapter 2? And as we come to hear and learn from God's word, let's ask him for his help. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We need your guidance. We need your wisdom. So Lord, would you help us? Would you teach us this morning by your spirit? Would you grow in our hearts a greater love for Jesus Christ? And as a result, would you help us to live lives that are transformed and changed and free? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are looking at one verse. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. It says this, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. In the letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul, that's someone who had seen the risen Lord Jesus with his own eyes and been sent out by the risen Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, in what would be modern-day Turkey. And so far in this letter, he's been defending his doctrine of justification. Simply put, some people were really not happy with the gospel Paul was preaching. Some people were actually really actively unhappy with the gospel Paul was teaching. And that's the gospel that we in Edenderry today proclaim and believe and love. That being the only way that we can be made innocent and right and acceptable in the eyes of God. The only way that can happen is through faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone. Believing in who Jesus is and what he has done. Faith in Jesus. Do you want to be a Christian? The gospel asks. Believe in Jesus. That's it. That's Paul's gospel. That's our gospel. That's the gospel of God. If you want to be justified, that means if you want to be declared righteous in the eyes of God, if you want to be able to have a right relationship with the God of this universe, that's only achievable By believing in Jesus, having faith in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Paul's opponents were really agitated by this gospel, though. They thought it wasn't enough. Surely, if you were to be a Christian, you should also keep Jewish traditions. That was their mindset. Things like circumcision, dietary requirements, strict Sabbath keeping. Yeah, Jesus and all that, that sounds good. But surely, in addition to that, you also need to clean up your act. Believe these extra things and keep these extra rules if you're going to be an actual Christian. Paul says no. Until this morning's verse, until verse 21 in chapter 2, Paul has been defending his gospel. He's set to prove that the, 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 the pure, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ works. It saves It promotes godly living. It transforms lives. You don't need to transform yourself to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and he will transform you. And until now, Paul has been defending his message of how to obtain peace with God. But in verse 21, he flips the table. In this verse, in one wee sentence, he dismantles his opponent's argument. 
the argument being that as well as believing you also have to work, you also have to clean yourself up, you have to get a certain amount of knowledge, you have to have a certain amount of goodness in yourself, you have to play a part in making yourself acceptable to God. And politics are wrecking ball to their argument. Paul says in what they believe, they nullify the grace of God and they do away with any need of Jesus' death. They resist the gracious nature of who God is and they reject the gracious mission of Jesus in his death. These are, these are two pillars of the Christian faith. Paul's opponents, he says, they're trying to take a sledgehammer to these two pillars. Unlike Paul, they are nullifying both God's grace and Christ's death. What's that mean, though? What's that mean? Uh, Well, when I was in my uh, teenage years, my mum hired a cleaner to come to our house every Friday morning. Every Friday morning, 8 a.m. sharp, the cleaner would come. I remember the 8 a.m. sharp bit because um, I remember never being able to have a lie-in on Friday mornings, even in the summer. Brutal, poor, deprived childhood, I know. But, you know, in my humble opinion, there was never any point in the cleaner coming. Because since the cleaner came every Friday morning, every Thursday night, my brother and I would have to clean the house. Our, our mum made us clean the house for the cleaner. We had to clean for the cleaner. You know that Northern Irish mum thing of when people are coming over for dinner or something like that? You have to tidy the entire house. You have to sort out your wardrobe and the hot press as if the queen herself is coming and is going to inspect your, your room. That was my Thursday night every Thursday night. We cleaned for the cleaner. We, we nullified the cleaner. There was no point in the cleaner coming. And Paul says to his opponents, and Paul says to us, if we try and add to the gospel, if we try to pile extra things on top of Jesus that we have to do in order to have peace with God, he says we're trying to clean for the cleaner. He says we're cancelling out the grace of God. We're chalking off the death of Christ. Let's take the, the grace of God first. Paul says that he, with his gospel, he does not nullify the grace of God. And in doing so, he's showing that his opponents, in fact, they do. With their view of God and how to have peace with God, they nullify God's grace. They don't accept God's character for what it actually is. That's gracious. You're not saying you've probably heard it on segments and programs about not getting scammed. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. That's how Paul's opponents were thinking. But they didn't realize that that statement just can't apply to God. Because when it comes to God, there is no limit on his goodness or his grace. God is the very definition of what it means to be good. He is the source of of all grace. So a pastor theologian at the turn of the 20th century called Herman Bavinck. And he helpfully explains what I believe to be the heart of the problem for Paul's opponents. He says that people, that pagans, when he says pagans, he's saying people who believe in false gods, maybe like gods of the Greeks, ancient Greeks or the Roman gods. Bavinck says that pagans pictured their gods as human. Yes, there were gods, but they had really human features. They had human passions, such as jealousy or anger, vengeance, and spite. 
Therefore, people had a really hard time grasping the sublime idea of a free and gracious forgiveness. See, when it came to pagans, when it came to their gods, when they messed up before their gods, their gods felt insulted. They got angry. They took the huff, as we so often do. And so the onus for us would be to make it right. We had to make it right. That was on us. We would have had to pray and sacrifice and give gifts. To make it right with God, it was all on you. How are you going to make it up to the gods? How are you going to do it? It's all on you. You need to work it out. For pagans, their gods were too human. And Paul's opponents, what they do is they make the same mistake with the one true God. Even though, for the most part, they were of Jewish heritage and they had knowledge of God, they still ended up making God too human. When it came to their so-called gospel, they had a God made in their own image. Yes, God has made a way for us to come to him through Christ, but if he's anything like me, surely he demands more. There must be strings attached. There must be small print I haven't read. A God like that is too human. It's a God who says one thing and may not mean another, but certainly doesn't give you the whole picture. That's not a God who's a a gracious God who frees you. That's a God who keeps you on a leash. He has you tied down to a contract you didn't mean to sign up for. That isn't a God who is gracious or good. And a God who needs supplemented by our own self-improvement isn't just not that gracious, but he's actually not that much use to us, is he? If we're going to add as much to our salvation, to our justification as God is, if it's a 50-50 investment, that's not much of a God. If we're going to trust ourselves as much as we trust God, surely that God should be insulted. Paul's opponents in their attitude and their words and their actions, they were nullifying the grace of God. They're saying there is no need for this whatsoever. But their view of God is not the same God we know in Christ Jesus. Their view of God is not the God that is revealed to us in Scripture. Because the God of the gospel is gracious. This is a God who Romans 5 verse 6 tells us intervenes when we were helpless. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God helps the weak. God helps the ungodly, not those who have cleaned themselves up and made themselves right and got their act together. He knows that we are needy. And he perfectly and graciously meets our every need. God is gracious. God is so gracious that he is the one who gives us peace with him. He is the one who justifies us. He is the one that does all of the work. If you are a believer here this morning... That is by the grace of God and by grace alone. It is by God's grace that you once decided to follow Jesus. It is by God's grace that you have kept on following Jesus. So maybe the question is, why do we act so often like Paul's opponents? Why why do we try and nullify the grace of God? Why do we try to do that with 
other people's lives as well. When we deem others as lower on the salvation scale than we are. Maybe when we look down on others for their preferences rather than holding them in high esteem for their perfection in Christ. We're in real danger of nullifying the grace of God when it comes to others, but I think the greater danger is acting like Paul's opponents when it comes to ourselves. We, we can have a view of God that is far too human. We have an idea of God that's almost like a cosmic version of ourselves. And that means that we're unable to live the life that Jesus calls us to live. It causes us to think things like, have I annoyed God today? Have I gone on his wrong side? Is God angry with me? Is God disappointed in me? I don't know if I know enough. I don't know if I've done enough. Will God be pleased with my efforts? I know I'm saying that I'm giving my life to Jesus, but I just feel dislocated from him in my heart. We think those things and we feel those things when our God is too small. When we have that God, we have a different gospel because we've nullified God's grace in our lives. You see, despite all we know, we still find ourselves thinking that we, we have to earn God's favor. We have to earn peace with God. Yes, Jesus has done most of the work, but it's up to us to get it over the line, hoping not to annoy God on the way. But Paul's made it clear. There is nothing we can do to earn God's favor. We can't earn peace with God by doing the works of the law, by doing our learning or abstaining. Paul has made it clear. We are weak We are helpless. And we are totally reliant on the grace of God. Do you know weak and helpless is a really good place to be? It's good to realize that. It's good to realize that we are entirely reliant on the grace of God. And that is such good news because God is entirely gracious. God is entirely gracious. He is so gracious that he gives us that which we could never earn, deserve, or merit. He gives us peace with himself through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He gives us access to him by allowing us to share in Jesus' perfection. Not because we're worthy, we're not, but because he is gracious. God gives us life to the full, forever, not because our lives deserve it, actually they deserve death, but because by God's grace, Christ is our life. And Jesus allows us to share in his inheritance and his status. As you grow older in Christ, don't think you get more worthy, because you don't. Hopefully, as you mature in Jesus, you grow in awareness of your unworthiness. And so the grace of God becomes greater in your life. We need the grace of God as much now as we did the day we were first saved. See, if you don't realize that God is gracious, you will never be able to rest. Your living for Jesus with that flawed perspective will be full of stress and guilt and resentment. But when we look to Jesus... 
when we look to the grace of God that is free and flowing, when we look to what God has done for us, not what we have done for him, but what God has done for us, we can say the words of Romans 8, 1 to ourselves, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We can preach that to ourselves, knowing that with Paul we do not nullify the grace of God. We don't need to self-improve to earn peace. But as one writer says, God graciously gives us peace, sonship, free and, access, free and certain access to the throne of grace. God graciously gives us freedom from the law and independence from the world. And from faith like that will flow good works that are proof that eternal life lives within us. God is gracious. Our peace, our justification from God, our righteousness before God. It's all because of who God is. He is gracious. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. We thought about the graciousness of God, the grace of God. Now let's look to the end of verse 21. The death of Christ. Paul says, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. You know, these two pillars of the, the Christian faith, God's grace and Christ's death, they go hand in hand. What Paul is saying in this verse is that in thinking that peace with God could somehow be attained or even beefed up with good works, with law keeping, with what we do or maybe with what we don't do, then surely the death of Jesus becomes irrelevant. And that sounds kind of extreme, doesn't it? Christ died for no purpose. But Paul is spot on. Think about it. Why did Christ die? Why did Christ die? Christ died to save sinners. God saves sinners, that's the gospel. Jesus died to reconcile man with God, to give us peace with God, to save us from sin and from ourselves, to make us righteous in the eyes of God. The mission of God, our mission of Jesus, his death, reveals the character of God, his grace. But if righteousness, if salvation, if making ourselves right were through the law, Galatians 2.21 says, if we could make ourselves right with our knowledge and our words and our actions, And what's the point in Jesus? In fact, if your righteousness is about what you can do, what you can achieve, then why bother with Christianity? And the answer is, you shouldn't. If our righteousness is based on ourselves, go home now. Don't wait until the benediction, because there's no point. Jesus, Jesus wasted his time, and we're wasting our time. But our righteousness isn't based on us. Our righteousness can't be earned. Our peace with God can't be worked for. Our righteousness, our peace, our justification is by the grace of God in the death of Christ. And the death of Christ shows us why we can't earn our salvation. The death of Christ shows us why we're so reliant upon God's grace. And it's because sin is serious. The sin that is in each and every one of us, it's serious. And God takes our sin seriously. It's not a tab we can pay off over time. It's not something that can be shrugged off or made up for. 
It is the greatest pandemic this world has ever known, and we can't vaccinate ourselves against it with good deeds. We can't protect ourselves against it by self-improvement. It is our greatest problem, and it needs dealt with. And the only way it can be dealt with is by the death of Jesus Christ. If our sin is to be dealt with, if we are to be justified, if we are to be made righteous, to have peace with God, we need to share in someone else's perfection. Because that's God's standard perfection. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus died to allow that to happen. Jesus died to share his perfection with us. Jesus died because we're not to trust ourselves, but to trust him. Jesus died to take the punishment of our sin upon himself, and he died to give us life. He took punishment to free us. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, kneeling it to the cross. For us to have peace with God, for us to be justified, Jesus had to die. And he did. Jesus died for you. Jesus gave up his life for you. Jesus lived perfectly and justly and righteously. He died cruelly to forgive you your sins, your rebellion against God, your self-reliance, your self-trust, your selfishness. He died to forgive you. And he rose, he defeated death, he ascended, he has proven himself not only to be worthy of our trust, but to be gracious to us beyond our wildest imagination. The death of Jesus proves God to be gracious. It shows us the seriousness of our sin and it shows us what God has done for us in grace. The death of Christ shows us what God has done for us, not the other way around. What does God require from you? Your trust in Jesus. Your faith in Jesus, you being united to Jesus, not your works, not your attempts to nullify God's grace. That's an insult to God, but all God requires is your complete and utter surrender to Jesus Christ. For you to realize who God is and what he offers you in Jesus. If this morning you are not trusting in Jesus, but you're trusting in yourself. You're in a perilous situation. Because you're no good for yourself. Your good living's no good. You can't earn God's favor. And you won't be able to stand before God and justify yourself as righteous because you're not. And if you're trusting in yourself and not in Jesus, God's word is clear. It's clear in Galatians as it is the whole way throughout Scripture. Your future will not be in God's grace, but in God's wrath for all eternity. So don't trust in yourself. There's someone greater to trust in. Trust in the one who is deserving of your trust. Put your faith in the God of grace. 
who gave his son for you, find peace in a saviour who gave up his life for you. For those of us in Christ this morning, this verse is a beautiful and needed reminder of one of the amazing truths of the gospel. And it says, the Christian life is not you giving your life to Jesus. It's Jesus giving up his life for you. It's not you giving your life to Jesus. It's Jesus giving up his life for you. Your salvation, your eternity, it's not based on what you can do, what you can give, but on who God is, what God has done, what Christ is given and what he will do. Your justification is from Christ and his fullness. It's from Christ and his fullness, his life and his death that we have received grace upon grace. And that means we're free. We're freed from the shackles of our enslavement in which we try desperately to earn God's favor. God's favor is already ours. We're freed from the long slog of trying to deserve God's love. God's already poured out his love in our hearts. So trust in Jesus. Trust in what he has done for you to save you from yourself. Do not try to nullify his grace, but soak in it. Allow it to transform you, to help you live freely and fully for Jesus who died for you. God has done everything needed, everything needed for you to have a right relationship with him. Jesus died so that we can rely on him for our eternity. If that doesn't cause your heart to beat vivaciously with joy, there's something wrong. We are free people because of Jesus. Let's live freely in the grace that God gives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace towards us. We thank you that you are God who has taken our salvation upon yourself, that you have achieved that for us, that you graciously give it to us. So Lord, help us not to be people who try to earn what's already ours. Help us not to work for the gift that you've already given. Help us to rest in your grace and live freely for you in the fullness of life that you have given us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.